Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Today, um, we are going to be talking on a new subject for the month of November, and that's thanks living. Thanks living. Isn't that great? I didn't come up with that, so I can say it's great. Thanks living. So we know it's the Thanksgiving season, but how many of you have skipped Thanksgiving and you have put up your Christmas tree? Raise your hand at me. Be proud about it because I did. I did. Yesterday, me and all five children plus a cousin put up all of the Christmas things that you can possibly imagine. And Hobby Lobby was 50% off. No, this is not an advertisement. This is a warning because I went to get tape and I left with much more than that is all I have to say about it. But we are moving into that season of the year. And so, oh, ladies, we have the peppermint pop-up. If you love to come to women's events, come. If you hate to come to women's events, also come. We're going to, because you can sit with me, um, because I, I typically hate them, and, and I'm not going to hate this one. It's true. Oh, come on. Don't act like there's some of you who don't think that. Somebody just wave at me. If you, you are, you're like that. I get that. And you know what? It's okay for you to admit that. We've, some of us, we, we just don't. But this is the thing. I'm going to be preaching, and we're going to have fun together, and we're going to learn how not to hate women's events. So the men are so confused. They're just keeping quiet like they should at this moment. That's good. That was wisdom. That was wisdom. But anyway, it is going to be November 11th. Come. It's going to be great. There's going to be shopping for people who like to shop. For those of you who don't, there'll be hot chocolate. It's great. It's wonderful. I hate to shop. Okay. You've learned too much about me lately. Acts 2, starting with verse 42. Um, for those of you who may be new to uh, the Bible, um, let me give you just kind of an overview. The Bible is really two sets of books. Um, there's the Old Testament, which means the Old Covenant. This um, could be called like the Hebrew Bible. This is the setup for Jesus. It's the backstory of why Jesus needed to come of why the rescue of mankind needed to happen. It tells us all kinds of different things and gives us all kinds of very important stories and very important principles. And then there is the New Testament. And we could call this the Christian Bible. And the reason we could call it that is because it is Christ onward. And the entire New Testament, after the first four Gospels, which is like a, a, a recap of Jesus's life, we have four different stories of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Two of them were written by disciples. Two of them were written by people who were kind of researchers and who interviewed disciples and people like that. Everything after that really is about the first church figuring out how to follow Jesus, and we get to see it. Like the book of Acts is, is the first church fighting each other while they figure out how to follow Jesus. 
And by the way, even in the midst of that, there's still miracles and there's still people getting saved and there's still all kinds of amazing things happen. And then we have all of these letters from apostles who were like the leaders of the early church and they are writing to different churches about different stuff. But everybody's just trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? They're all trying to figure it out and they don't have a handy dandy Bible. They don't have it printed and put in like between leather with the little string. They don't have it. They're trying to figure it out together with nothing but the stories of Jesus, okay? The stories of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to guide them. And it was enough for the world to be shaken. It was enough for the world to be shaken. And so that's why we lean in and we want to read it. And we want to read it with that context. And we want to hear and we want to go, okay, what is it that they figured out? What did it look like for them so that we can then apply it to our lives? Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to read Acts 2, starting in verse 42. All the believers... This is right after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. It's incredible. If you haven't read it, you need to. It's amazing. Um, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all the believers. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, teach us from your words. Help us to hear the words that come from your heart, not just the words that come from my voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so earlier this fall, when we were talking about finishing strong, right? So full strength, you know, having full strength. We talked about this passage, and this is what we said about those first verses, where it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We said that it stood for this process that is still ongoing today. First, learning how Jesus lived. Study. What were the apostles teaching? Not random stuff. They were teaching through the stories of Jesus. They were saying, Jesus did it this way. I watched him say it this way. I remember when he told this story. So first, learning how Jesus lived. Study. Then practicing living that way together. That's what fellowship is. Sometimes we're like, ah, I don't know. You know, I mean, Christianity would be great if it weren't for all the other Christians. Exactly. Because we are all figuring out how to actually put into practice what Jesus lived. How to put into practice what he taught. Loving your neighbor has very little meaning unless you get around some people. 
Loving others the way that Jesus loved you doesn't have very much meaning unless you get around some people, right? And so we're meant to do this in community because Christianity can't be practiced by yourself. It's meant to be practiced within a community. The third is this, inviting others to live that life with them. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality is inviting an outsider in and giving them the privileges of an insider before they earn it. Inviting an outsider in and giving them the privileges of an insider before they earn it. It's inviting people to your table and saying, hey, come do life with me. Enter into this life with me because I'm living different. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm practicing it and I want you to come alongside me. And then finally, submitting all of life to God through prayer. Submitting all of life to God through prayer. And it's funny, all of us probably lean towards one of these four more than the other. There's the people who are just study people. And they're like, I just want to know more. I just want to know more. Can you pull out more Greek for me? No, I cannot. But Pastor Andy can, so just wait till he preaches. Dr. Denny and Dr. Sarah will, so just wait for them. But they're the study people. They're the ones who are just constantly studying. But this is the thing. They also have to get into the other three. And then you have the fellowship people, and they're just the community people. They're willing to, like, work it out, right? They're just showing up. They're present. They just are at everything. But hey, 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 you can't just do that. This isn't just a social club. This isn't just a place to hang out and do things together, right? And then you have the hospitality people. And they're all about just reaching out. Oh, yes, my house is open all the time. That literally made some of you so nervous right there. You didn't know what to do. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine living that way. But for others, you're like, yes, that's who I am. That is who I am to my core. I love my house being full of people. We had an impromptu party on um, October 31st with, and there was just people all over my house and I have never been happier because that's who I am. I'm a hospitality person, but this is the thing. I don't get to just be a hospitality person. I've got to be the other three too. And then you have your prayer people and they just, they love it. They're like, we just need to pray all the time. And you know what? You're right. Because the Bible says to pray without ceasing. But we don't get to just pray. We've got to do the other three things too. And that's what makes this complicated. And that's what makes this a challenge. Is because we've got to do all four at the same time. And so we're in this process and we're like, okay, we're learning how to follow Jesus. We've got to do these four. So we're learning how Jesus lived. We're learning how the first church processed and learned how to follow Jesus. And we see what that process resulted in. It resulted in a church that saw miracles. Because why? They asked for them. I'll just leave that right there. We look at a church that gave generously. We look at a church that worshiped daily. 
We look at a church that lived gratefully, and then we look at a church that was a growing community. That's what leaning into all four of these areas really results in. And so here we are, the first church is still in this moment, as are we, right? When Paul writes his second letter to the church at Corinth, which is a city, and he gives them an offering speech. Can you imagine? Like the majority of the letter is an offering speech. And so it's in the Bible. We consider this the inspired word of God, right? So it's important that we figure out why is this so important to Paul that he would give so many words towards an offering speech. And so this is the context. He is preparing to take an offering from the Greeks to the church in Jerusalem. He's preparing to take an offering from the Greeks to the church in in Jerusalem. Now, if you've been hanging out here um, for very long, you've heard us talk about this good Samaritan story, right? And so we know Jews, Samaritans didn't like each other, all of that jazz. But there's this other group of people who are the Romans and the Greeks, and also there are issues there. If you know your history, you know that Romans are occupiers, they are empire builders, and you know that the Greeks are in there and and, and some stuff is going on, and you know that all of the ones who are not Jews are Gentiles. What that means is they are other. You don't eat with them, you don't marry them, you don't do business with them, you don't certainly don't offer eternal life to them. And Paul comes along, this, this, this Jewish convert to Christianity, and he says, no, the gospel is for the Gentiles too. And Peter has a supernatural experience. He's another one of the apostles. And he says, nope, the gospel is for the Gentiles too. And I'm glad because the vast majority of us are Gentiles. So I'm glad that the gospel is for us too. But there's some deep historical separation between these communities. They were different ethnically. They were different culturally. They were different linguistically. They were different in every other kind of area you can imagine. And here Paul is taking an offering, and it's not just any offering. It's not the regular offering. It's not the, hey, could you bring something so that we can have a little bit of a better potluck next week kind of offering. It's not the take care of our own, you know, widows and orphans offering. This is, hey, listen, we're going to take an offering and we're going to send it to these people who are separated from you in every way imaginable. And that's where we are. And we're going to read a bunch of the Bible today. So lean in, get ready. Second Corinthians, starting in chapter 8. This is Paul talking. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. 
They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, who's one of Paul's people, okay? We've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You got to love Paul, right? You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and could share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. All right, we're going to jump to the next chapter, starting verse 1. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, even though I'm writing to you. For I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you're ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money's all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention you would be embarrassed, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide, somebody say decide, in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever for God's the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way. He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks, not to you, Do you notice that? But to God, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Now, I wanted to read a larger passage for you because of this. There are so many little verses in there, if you have been around church, that you have heard pulled out and quoted. And I wanted you to see it within the context of what Paul's trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate something very important and something that was very countercultural for that day. The first way it is countercultural is this. He is not just appealing to rich people. See, in that day, it was the rich who had the responsibility for taking care of the city if there was a shortfall in the grain production. It was the rich who were responsible and got to be a part of all of that. But Paul is saying, we are all rich because Jesus has come and he has given us everything we need. And so we are going to have equality, not in the number that we give, but in responsibility. It's important and it's countercultural because it's inclusive. It means that we together get to do something bigger. And then it's countercultural this way. Giving in that day, especially in the Greek area, was based on this idea that I would do something for you and then you would praise and glorify my name. Pastor Andy preached about this earlier this year. You can go and look it up. It's an absolutely incredible message on grace, but that's the way that giving was done. So so destiny would give to Virginia And then Virginia would go all around the town and talk about how great destiny was. And that was what I got out of it, is my esteem, my name got bigger. Paul is turning this on its head, guys. He's saying, hey, we're all going to give and nobody's going to give us glory for it. Do you see this? This is a big shift. Hey, nobody's going to give you any credit. They're going to give all glory to God. So you are going to give, and God's 
get to get the credit. It's a completely new paradigm of giving. And we're like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But you know why that makes sense to us? is because we have lived in Western culture so long in this paradigm that it's normal. But for them, it would have been absolutely shocking. And then you have this whole other thing because giving was localized. So you took care of your community. Why? Because if you want people to boast about your name, you need them to be close by, right? And so it's like, I'm going to take care of my people so that they can talk about me. And we can have a great time together. And Paul said, nope, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give an offering to people who are so far separated from us by geography, by culture, by everything else, that there is not a chance that they would ever be able to repay even a moment of gratitude. This is a shocking, incredible, counter-cultural moment. And it's challenging because it also goes against um, this idea that, uh, that, that we would have a, a tax. So back in the day, and we're going to talk about this a, a little bit later. Back in the day, the tithe had moved from being something that was voluntary to being a tax. So it was enforced. There was the temple tax and then there was tithe, which was the first 10%. And it had moved from being voluntary to being involuntary within Jewish culture. So you're taught, and then if you talk about in the Greek culture, there were certain things where you had an obligation. You were forced to give. So this concept that you're just going to decide and freely give without being compelled was absolutely revolutionary. Because they're going, no, like we're going to wait until we're compelled. Because that's the way it works. See, we wait until we're told we have to. And then we do it. But he's saying no. The way that we give is the way that God gives. We give freely, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to. We talk all the time about Christianity being a practical religion. And yet so many times we are a little bit, Paul's kind of answering some of the questions and some of the arguments that we have, right? And so I love what Paul says. He says, because you excel in so many other areas of Christian practice, because you've got good speakers, because you, you know, you, you go out and you do this, because you're great at praying, because you're wonderful at worship, because you're good at this, I want you also to excel at this act of giving. And for us, we have to be countercultural too. And we have to go, man, there is a different way of giving for a Christian than any other kind of giving in the world. There's a different way of giving than any other kind of giving in the world. And I'm going to be honest, I really identify with this moment 
in time because the church at Corinth had gotten all excited about giving an offering for um, the church in Jerusalem. And so they had stirred everybody else up. Everybody else got stirred up because they were so excited. And now it's time to actually send the offering. And now they've got to make a choice. Are they going to finish what they've started? Guys, we started something here in Bossier City. I'm just going to be real. We started stirring the pot. We started adopting these schools, giving them uniforms, feeding these kids on a bigger level than really had ever been done before. And we've got some other people who are stirred up to jump in. How many of you are excited about that? We've got other churches jumping in and saying, I've got this one. I'm going to take care of the weekend meals for these people. Hey, I'm going to come and jump in here. And even with all the extra help, the need still has doubled. And so here we are. We're at the end of the year. And we have a question. Are we going to finish what we started? It's a simple question. Are we going to finish what we started. But if we're going to give, if we're going to be people who give, if we're going to be people who choose to follow Jesus in every area of our life, and we're not going to just build like a high fence around our bank account and say, yes, Jesus has my heart. He has my mind. He has my soul. He has my family, but not my bank account. By the way, that never works. But if we're going to be people who follow Jesus in this way, then we have to know how it is that we give. And how do we not give? Um, let's talk about how we should not give. You should not give reluctantly or in response to, to pressure. No, seriously. I'm not. If you are hearing me as pressuring you, you are wrong. Because this is the thing. Number one, it, you have all the power to decide what you do with your giving. I have all the power to decide what I do with my giving, right? And so we don't, we don't even have to get worried about that, but we don't want to give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Some of you, that has been the only way that you have given in your life is because somebody pressured you. And so that's become a habit. Hey, listen, you don't have to wait for someone to pressure you, but you'd also don't have to give out of pressure. And then the other one is begrudgingly or indecisively. So we don't have to be like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, I just, whatever. We don't have to do that. that, that that's not the way that, that Christians are supposed to give. We don't have to do it going, I wish I didn't have to give. Well, I wish people would just take care of, well, I just wish, you know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that because that's not the Christian way to give. This is the Christian way to give decisively. We just decide. We just decide. We decide in our hearts what we give and then we follow through. For some of you, that's like, okay, I'm going to give a percentage and this is the way it's going to go and I'm going to do that. For some of you, it's like, okay, I can do a one-time thing, and that's what I'm going to do. But it's about deciding, not putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, but just saying, yeah, I can see how giving is a part of practicing Christianity, so I'm just going to decide what I should give, and then I'm going to follow through. And then according to what we've been given. Hey, it's, this is important because we don't always talk about this part. We should give according to what, ooh, 
Did y'all hear that? That was very loud. Anyway, I hit this with my ring. It was like, dong. Anyway, according to what we have been given, not what we don't have. Sometimes we can trick ourselves here and we can go, you know what? I can't give anything because I can't give as much as I would like. So I'm going to wait until I could give as much as I like to be able to start giving. No, you won't. That's not the way that it works because we grow in generosity. That's what the Apostle Paul says. You know where it talked about how if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly? There's lots of ways to interpret that. But do you notice what it said the harvest was at the end? It said generosity. Okay, let's back up. If you reap generosity, what kind of seeds did you sow? This is not a trick question. You sowed seeds of generosity, right? So what it's saying is, is when you sow generosity, you reap generosity. You mean generosity towards my family? No, I mean you become a more generous person. And the Bible says that the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And I don't know about you, but I just want a bigger world. And so when we decide, when we say, you know what, I am not a very generous person, when we just honest and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, you know what, I'm not a very generous person. I'm honestly a little stingy. I'm stingy in just some ways. The, the answer to that isn't just to like flip everything on its head. It's just to start where you are. It's just start sowing seeds of generosity. But this is the thing, is that when we are generous in our giving and we start to reap a harvest of generosity, it doesn't just hang out like in our bank account. It moves over into the way that we are generous with our praise. We're generous with our kindness. We're generous with our patience. We're generous. Do you see what I'm saying? Generosity is a concept and it's something that can be cultivated, but we could, we should give according to what we have been given, not what we don't have, which also means that we should be intelligent in our giving. You should not go into credit card debt giving. That's, that does not honor God. We should give according to what we have. We should be good stewards of what we have and give according to what we have, not what we don't have. We should give with a cheerful heart. With a cheerful heart. We say we cheer enthusiastically here. That's part of this, is to give with a cheerful heart and out of gratitude to God for all that he has given us. Um, so, so yesterday I, I decorated for Christmas and um, it was wonderful and awesome and incredible and I'm so happy I did it. But um, my, my little boy, uh, Jacob, this morning um, jumps out of bed like, bolts up and he's not my my bolter he's my hey mom would you cuddle me a little longer right and so he bolts up and with all the drama you could ever hope for in your entire life went mom santa brought presents and he dead sprints into the you know and he's like look my ah there's no presents and he's like so incredibly like disappointed right? Because it's not what he thought it was going to be. We we spent all this time prepping. We spent all this time doing. We spent all this time. And and it was like, it wasn't what he thought it would be. And, And can we just be frank that there's some reasons why we don't give? And one of them is that we just have had those moments of bad experiences giving. We just have, 
can we just be real? We just had, we just had a bad experience. We, maybe you even had a parent who had a bad experience. I was talking to a man who was in his 60s about what we do for schools. And um, he was, and we had a great conversation. And actually at the end of it, he was so moved, um, really, that, that he has continued to come up here. He does not go to this church. Come up here and just bring money for those kids. Well, I'll take care of those kids. That's, his, that's what he always says. He's so, he's so sweet. But I was talking to him, and, and um, I was telling him about what we do. And uh, he said, well, you know, my mom... Now, this is a guy who's in his 60s. When I was a kid, my mom used to help this one family. And you know, they never really were grateful, and they never, their life never came back together. So I just came to the conclusion, you just really shouldn't help people. Okay, look, I'm not making fun of his conclusion. Because every one of us have done that in certain areas of our lives. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've just had a bad experience giving. Hey, the church over here had had that issue. It just wasn't what they expected in certain areas. He references that in in other parts of of Corinthians where he's like, I know so-and-so came and that was a little iffy, but but I'm not so-and-so, right? We don't give because we're going to have a certain experience giving. That's not the way we give. We don't give to be thanked. We don't give to change somebody's future. We don't say, well, I gave and now you have an expectation to be a different person tomorrow. We simply give out of obedience to God because he has given so much to us. But it's not just bad experiences that'll keep us from giving. It's bad theology. It's bad theology. See, God wants us to be a generous person. But we can jump over that very simple concept and start making all kinds of arguments about, well, is the tithe a New Testament thing or is it not? Well, is this a New Testament thing or is it not? Well, should I give money directly to the poor or should I give it to a thing or should I church? I don't care. I'm here to tell you I don't care. I just want to know, are you following Jesus because he gave everything for you. And are you turning around and cultivating generosity in your own life? Because I want you to live a big life. I want you to live a generous life. But that bad theology can start jumping in. And these people were dealing with bad theology. They were dealing with manipulative and enforcement-based giving practices. Where if you did not give, you could be severely penalized in the community. You could be punished if you did not give what you were supposed to give. This is, this is like very, very difficult stuff. They were used to giving being a tax. No one's excited to pay taxes. I always love when people get their first paycheck, don't you? And they're like, we got our first paycheck, you know? And then they look at, they're like, what is this? I didn't order FICA, you know? <laughs> no, but, right? Everybody's like, everybody's mad about giving a tax. They're like, I don't even care if we have roads. Like, you know, it's like all of a sudden, like a new libertarian is birthed. Like, we'll dig our own roads. So it's like, it's, it's this moment. Nobody gets excited. Nobody is like, you know, whenever they have to pay taxes at the end of the year, like, yes, I can't wait to write this to the IRS. 
Guys, that's not how it should feel to give. It should be the exact opposite. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, if giving feels like taxation to you, you're giving for the wrong reasons. And you should not give that way. You should give out of gratitude to God. And your theology should be not to give to get from God, but rather to give because you are grateful for what you have already received. And finally, bad habits. Bad habits is one of the biggest impediments to impediments to um, giving. Because this is how we do with giving is like we, we spend all of our money for the month and then we're like, ah, oh, I have nothing left. I can't give. And that's why originally God set up the system for us to give first fruits is because we should put what's important in our life first. But you know the other reason is because when you do that, you actually are taking control over stewarding your money, and you will do better. This is, this is studies have proven this. You will do better with the rest of your money when you intentionally give at the beginning. It's just the way that it is. But our bad habits jump into us. And we're like, ah, I just can't because, you know, ah, I just, ah, ah, well, you know, I'll think about, ah, you know, and we just have this habit that's keeping us from giving, that's keeping us from moving forward. But you know what else it's keeping us from is a generous life. It's keeping us from living Thanksgiving. It's keeping us from living Thanksgiving. And we talk about habits here all the time. And one of our habits is we give generously. Why is it a habit? Because if you don't make it a habit, it will never, ever happen. If you do not create margin to be able to give patience generously, you will not have the patience to be able to give. If you do not create margin to be able to give your time to serve, you will not have the time to serve. And if you do not create margin in your finances through good stewardship, you will not begin to be a generous person in your finances. It's the same principle. And yet it just feels so many things. But the early church had the same issue. The early church had the same issue. They weren't used to this kind of giving. It wasn't a habit yet. That the kind of giving that was an obligation, that was out of fear, that was out of uh, all of these different things. Oh, oh yeah, they had that down pat. But they did not yet have the habit of giving just out of their heart. Of giving out of decision. But we can start because habits have to start somewhere. So what will help you live a life of giving? Gratitude? Just, just choosing to be grateful. Choosing to think about what God has done for you. And then to turn around and to give to others. And then to repetition. It grows. When, when you go, okay, well, I, I can only do this right now. Great, do that. Start where you are. Don't worry about like, just start where you are. Because when you give, it grows generosity within you. And then finally, consistent decision. Consistent decision. Because when we constantly decide 
then we over and over again have a chance to practice. See, when we live a life that gives thanks, we're focusing all the good and the beauty in this world that God has given us. There is so much to be worried about, but why would we worry when there's so much to be grateful for? Now hear me. There's so much to be worried about. Well, why would we worry when there's so much to be grateful for? I want to choose to live in every area of my life that acts life of learning, practicing, inviting, praying, and seeing the world changed through it. There's a quote I found as I was uh, researching, and it said this. It said, one of the greatest marks of a heart that has truly been touched by the grace of God is that it counts giving as a privilege. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to ask them to come out and play right now. One of the greatest marks of a heart that has been truly touched by the grace of God is that it counts giving as a privilege. At the very end of this passage, there's a phrase that um, always used to grab me. And it says this, it says, thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. I've often thought like, what does that referring to? Is it referring to Jesus? Well, I mean, he is a gift that is too great for words. Thank you, Jesus. Is it referring to community? I mean, that's a gift that's too great for words, getting to have people that we do life with. But in the context, this is what it really seems to be. The gift of being able to give. The gift of being able to give. Of God inviting us in. Of him saying, yeah, you can partner with me to do something special. You can partner with me to do something great. You know, here at North Point, so many of you um, are consistent givers. You, you help and make sure that that just scared me so bad. Oh, my word. You, was I the only one or anybody else? You're awake now, though. Come on, somebody. All right. So, you know, there's so many of us that, that are, we're, we give and, and, and we give percentage giving and we, we, we're consistent or we, we, we do all of the things. Okay. So, so you guys are generous givers. I'm so grateful. But I think this is a moment in time where we need to lean in and say, hey, it's, it's all of us. It's all of us. And we need to finish what we started. We need to finish what we started. Between now and the end of the year, we're going to be feeding kids on the weekends and on the breaks. Uh, on the weekends, we feed, um, we feed around 300 kids. And during the breaks, we feed around 500. And so we did all kinds of math that included equations that I was not part of. And this is what we came up with, is that it costs about $80 a kid for us to be able to feed them between now and the end of the year. About $80 a child. That's $20 every week this month. That's like $3 a day. Can you start there? For some of you go, well, of course I can start there, but I, I want to take care of 10 kids. For some of you, you're like, I want to take care of 100 kids. Together, I want us to do this practice of thanks living. This practice of giving together and seeing how when we all pull together, God can do even more. For some of you, this would be your very first time giving. That's awesome. 
What a great place to start. Feeding kids, making sure that our kids in our community are fed. And you know what? You're not going to get thanked for it, but they're going to give glory to God. You may say, oh, are they really going to get? Yes. We, we've sat and talked to teachers and principals as tears run down their face because the classroom issues that they're dealing with are impacted by the fact that their kids aren't hungry. You're changing people's mentality about the church. You're, you're culture changers. You're making a huge difference. As if you need another reason to make sure that a child doesn't go hungry. On your seats, when you came in, there was a card. On one side, it says, will you hand that to me, Pastor Kathy? Thank you. On one side, it says, I'm feeding this many kids through the end of the year. And it has like a little QR code where you can do your giving online. But on the other side, it has a prayer. And this is what I wanna encourage everybody to do. One, to make a decision in the next few moments, or maybe when you go home, but of how many kids you're gonna feed this year. And then to pray for these kids every single day. Put it up on your fridge. Put it in your bathroom mirror. You can do it while you're putting on your mascara. Read this prayer. Pray over our kids. We can choose to gripe about public education or we can get involved in the nitty gritty dirty details of making sure that we can eliminate poverty within our schools and that we support them in prayer. And that's who we've chosen to be. We've chosen to be the people who lean into the dirt. And it's time for us to finish strong. Philip and I have prayed about it. We're going to feed 50 kids. That's what we've decided as a family. We have five kids and we can do more than five. So we're going to do 50 kids. And I want to invite you to join us. Well, Destiny, this was all about giving. If that's what you think, you have missed my whole point. This is about cultivating generosity in your life so that you can live a life of thanksgiving. Everybody in here can do something. Everybody. Our kids are going to be feeding one kid for a weekend. It's $5 to feed one kid for one weekend. They're going to be having a blast. Our students are going to be feeding... One kid, one weekend, $5. It's, it's amazing. I still don't understand how we're able to feed a kid for a weekend for $5. It's because Clarissa can make Penny squeal. But we're doing this together. Why? Because we need a moment where we remember this is who we are. This is what we do. And where we start to cultivate generosity in a new way. Are you with me? Will you stand? Would everybody just grab this card and just put it in their hand? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. And God, we just pray. God, we pray for these kids. some of whom are homeless. Many of whom have moved so many times 
in and out of schools, in and out of areas who are at risk and who have so much against them. Lord, they're your kids. You created them. You have a plan for their life. Lord, I pray right now that you would do something supernatural in our city, that all of the churches together would come together to eliminate school poverty. But Father, we'll do our part. We'll do our part. We want to finish what we started. Lord, I pray that this message of generosity would get in our hearts. God, I pray for the people who've had bad theology, bad habits, and bad experiences keep them from being generous. For those who've had real pain in those areas, I pray healing in the name of Jesus. That they would not allow the actions of others in the past to keep them from a generous life. That they wouldn't be bound by by those ideas, but instead they would walk into the freedom of being able to give because they decide to, not because it's a tax, not because it's a have to, but because it's a get to. Lord, open our hearts to be more generous than we ever have been before. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Destiny, I'm with you. We're going to keep every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's going to know. But you say, Destiny, I'm with you. I want to help finish this year strong. And I want to cultivate generosity in my own life. Would you just raise your hand with that little card in it? Just all over. I'm going to finish this year strong. And I want to cultivate generosity in my own life. I see you. I see you. Lord, bless the people whose hands are raised. God, I pray that you would help them to fulfill their decision in this moment. Bless us. Keep us. Give us more seed so that we can sow more and do more in your kingdom. Thank you for the miracles that have come in the past. The momentum that is sweeping through. But Lord, I pray that this would not be the end, but that it would just be the beginning. That we would continue to see Christ-centered, culture-changing community created in our area. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.